Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Voices of Western. For those of you who are perhaps first-time listeners, this is the Humans of Western podcast. Before we begin, be sure to follow us on our various social media platforms, including Instagram at humans underscore western, our Facebook page, and our new TikTok account at humans of western. My name is Madison, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hossein, who will take it from here. Perfect. We are so excited to be inviting our guest today, Gabriella Teixeira. She is a graduate from the Western University with a degree from FIMS. And I will say this, she has been quite on a long journey, lots of things, and definitely not afraid to take the unconventional route, especially transitioning from, you know, like a degree from FIMS into startup, into podcasting, and so many different things that we'll be talking more and more about. Gabriella, I will pass it on to you. Thank you guys so much for having me. So we've got to just talk little little bits and pieces along the way, but it's number one, it's so great and stuff to be able to see other FIM students and stuff like outside of their own faculty, sorry, not FIM students, Western students outside of their own faculty, you know, creating really, really great pieces and stuff for other, other students and alumni to touch. Because I was going to say that like in FIMS, a lot of our missions when I was around was wanting to create really great content that touched a lot of other people let the let the faculty be known and see where we can add value and interact with other with other students so it's awesome awesome to see I guess a little intro about myself yeah so I studied media and the public interest at Western um it was some of the best learning years of my life. I feel I'm a big believer in stuff that your learning never really stops, but truly Western and FIMS and stuff was, was a truly stellar, stellar experience. Um, coming out of Western stuff, I am now uh, a Venture for Canada fellow. I'm a 2021 fellow and I work at Hashtag Paid in their brand partnerships, as well as I run their podcast, the DDC Growth Podcast, where I get to bring on a lot of incredible founders, and incredible D2C brands. And we get to chat about like the challenges of creator partnerships and other things that we see in e-commerce that is kind of forging the way of consumer behaviors for the future. So why don't you tell us a bit about uh, why you decided to go to Western and what your motivations were for pursuing a degree in uh, media and the public interest? Yeah, it's a kind of a funny story because when I first thought about like my university education and like what I wanted to do, you know, I believed it was going to be like the business route, like through and through. That is what I told my family at the time and stuff like being from Ontario and stuff like the streamlining, like a system in the high school, in high school and stuff starts quite early. And stuff like I had the luxury of getting to go to a middle school where, you know, where it's rather isolated, only two grades. You're not really totally thinking all the way ahead, but the second that you got in, it was very much the pathway that what you're taking in grade nine is going to help determine what you take in grade 10 and 11 and 12, so on and so forth. So thinking that I was ahead of the game, I was like, yeah, you know what? 12, 13 years old business. I'm going to go to business school. And I was going to go to Queens. I was going to go to Queens of all places. And my mind was kind of set. And my family really, really liked that because for them, they were also big believers in like being a forward thinker and planning was one of the short ways to, to ensure your success because you need to give yourself enough grace period to really think about what you want to do in order to execute on them. So it's like, yes, okay, great. My pathway is this, I'm doing great. And finally coming to the end of my, my high school degree, there was a court case in, in the news that completely shifted my mindset. I, I believe I came from a generation that was like deeply impacted 
by the, the kind of Tumblr era and stuff in the online communities that had happened. And unfortunately, what happened in the news was that there was this court case around this woman named Nadia Kajuji, who was a U of Ottawa student, who unfortunately found herself in that type of culture online, in which she entered into a chat room and was found somebody who she believed was a trusted friend who was posing as a nurse and stuff who could kind of talk her through a lot of the issues that my friends and I and stuff were dealing with similarly at that age in those final years of high school. And what ended up happening was it was not a friendly nurse and stuff that was here to help her. Unfortunately, it was a man who did end up pressuring her to harm herself in front of him, which she unfortunately did and executed. And for me, it was like a wake up call in a way that kind of like reframes your total world of like, I'm in a position in my life where I'm trying to determine what I want to do. Not, not only just like study for the next few years and stuff, but think of the thinking of the impacts I wanted to have over my career and seeing that there was a gap in how we could like prosecute crimes online. There was a gap in resources for youth. There was a gap in us understanding this type of online culture, what effects it had on people. I thought, if I don't start now, I don't know who is, who's going to start forging that pathway to, towards finding those solutions. And so for me, I just decided I'm taking a year off. I'm going to study a few more courses in high school and stuff that I didn't get to touch that kind of was always in the back of my mind, but being so focused on business stuff, never really had the chance to take try to find a program that kind of hits both sides of like that kind of public policy, that kind of digital culture exploration, that kind of like creative solutionings. And for me, that was FIMS. That was specifically media in the public interest. And that is really what I feel like led me to like Western store. And although it was a really harrowing experience to kind of think back of like how quickly can shift like your motivations and intentions, I'm very grateful for the fact because I definitely think it like it set me on the path that I am on today. One thing that I would love to learn more about is, you know, you mentioned your family wanted you to have some sort of plan, a five-year yeah. plan. How was their reaction to your initial thoughts about pursuing a gap year? I think like when you have a, like a, a family that I feel like any relationship in your life, when you're asked for a five-year plan, it's because oftentimes they're looking, they're looking out for you. They mean very well. But when people ask you that five-year plan, they're often asking, so like, how can I help you? What are the things that I need to do to support you on that journey? And that support from your family often comes in like time and resources. So in one breath and stuff, like I'm so grateful and stuff that my family was thinking so head for me and wanted me to think in the same way. But it was certainly, I think, a very, very, very difficult experience for everybody to essentially have to switch plans at the last minute. Right. Cause everything that we've been doing like collectively and stuff was going towards this moment. And it's really, really hard to tell your family that, Hey, I'm thinking of this very exciting career in business, but I see this pain in the world. I see this problem and I'm not really sure how we're going to figure this out or what it means to pursue this. But I think it's important for me to do, because I feel like ultimately your family, they want you to be successful and they want you to be taken care of. And when you announce as like a minor at 17 that you want to pursue something that isn't very well known, has no real supposedly guarantee of success. Like, I think the natural reactions for them is like shaky. Like, I don't want you to do that. And they didn't, they really, really didn't. They thought, you know, I think a lot of other parents might, or students might have experienced something similar of 
just go towards what you were going to, and then you can pivot. And that is totally like a real strategy. Totally valid can be very, very, very helpful for other people. But I think when it comes down to your core values have changed and that first step doesn't even resonate with that. I don't always see that as a pivot. I see that as a distraction. Then if you continued on that plan that you had set out before. So now that some, like uh, some years have passed, I think that like my family has definitely like wrapped their heads around it and they can see what it has meant for me to have like initiated taking that time to solidify what I wanted to do because it's all that context, right? And like hindsight's twenty twenty, but certainly challenging experience. But I think it definitely made all of us stronger, especially like for what I'm in now in startups, it was almost like train, training wheels to for, for essentially for me to do it all over again. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to the fact that, you know, coming out of high school, you're either unsure about what you want to do, or suddenly you find something that's really new and exciting, and you decide to pursue that. I know for me personally, I, all throughout high school, I wanted to pursue the sciences. I was really into astronomy, and so I took physics, I took chem, and I really enjoyed those courses, but when it became time to actually apply to schools for after high school, I was like, mm, I'm not too sure about this. And now uh, suddenly I'm in economics, which is kind of totally different. So I don't know what made me decide to like make that switch. But yeah, it's, it's pretty common to suddenly have like a new inspiration. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like with the pacing that we're given of coming out of high school and even going into universities, that there is really isn't that much room for pause. To, to, to think about those things or like really track like, wow, this is how quickly or slowly like, like my mindset like has shifted. I, I wonder and stuff like, do you, either of you think that you'd feel differently about your choices? How do you say like put in a rather regular check time or, you know, had a group of friends and stuff in which like do it every month. We're going to talk about like our intentions and motivations here and see how that's changed amongst the group. Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. I feel like, I mean, I'm pretty lucky. I'm really close with my family and uh, a lot of my best friends I've been best friends with since kindergarten. So they probably know me better than I know myself. So I feel like if I was perhaps going down a path that they didn't really see me in, I feel like they would almost tell me like, hey, I don't really see you going into this field or pursuing this, this job or whatnot. So I feel like I was lucky in that sense. But having like formal conversations. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that would have impacted my, my uh, future planning, so. I'm, I'm gonna answer that question too. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because I did have this conversation with my parents and I told them about my business interests on how I wanted to do things other than med school, which at the time they were really hoping that I would do. I, I couldn't convince them <laughs> and I didn't know much about business. So I had to go, you know, with the route of medical sciences, which I'm still in. But more reason is because I did not have that clarity. And I don't think if I had gone back, I would have still been able to find that clarity. Like you don't know what you don't know. And you only learn them once you go through them. So I just think that my experience and involvement in other things other than my classes and courses in university have allowed me to kind of grow those passions um, which is important yeah we could have a conversation about intentions right now but I don't think how effective I don't think it would have been effective four years ago yeah it's it's interesting because like it 
what I like about taking that pause and stuff when I think about my own experience was like, I do really see is like after those five years, I essentially pulled the rug under my family being like, you thought you were on sure ground and then you weren't. <laughs> Sorry, I've changed. But I think that there's something with one side of like taking those pauses and reflections, like one part's like, yes, I get to think about things on my own and stuff. I get to give myself a moment to, to stand here and think of like, where, where have I come from, where I want to go. But then it does cre also create that opportunity to like invite perspective because you're totally right. Like you don't know what you don't know. And it can be really, really hard and stuff also for our friends and family to tell us, Hey, I see you're going down this path. I don't quite understand. And there's all these other little moments that can happen stuff that can rather encourage or discourage them from having those conversations with you. But when you do set those, those moments, I wonder and stuff, if I would be a different person or that experience would have been different for like, say my mother had, had I had like a regular time being like, where I'm inviting perspective. And it's just about like us having a discussion and us just learning from each other maybe one of our listeners and stuff can can run the exercise or the experiment and experiment and let us know in a year I also feel like in some strange way having experienced the pandemic I feel like we all got a chance to kind of sit back and pause and kind yeah. of reevaluate like what we're doing and our motivations and so I feel like that was perhaps a, an opportunity to kind of do something like that question you know what, yeah. what we're really doing <laughs> oh yeah totally so let's talk about this then you're at Western pursuing <laughs> MIT and two years in, I think you come across creating your own internship and working the startup community. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, no, it was wild because I feel like in your first year of MIT and stuff, it's a lot of unpacking about what you know, which is ironic, right? Because I thought that coming into it was like, my views have radically changed coming out of high school and I'm going to learn all of the things. And then MIT says, no, we actually need you to unlearn the things first. <laughs> unlearn the things and then we help you learn the things. And so that first year, unlearning all the things and stuff really kind of helped me open up my mind to how do we tackle problems and when can we start solutioning? Because I think like my pre preconceived notions of going into high school and university was that I'm investing time and resources into myself in order for me to get an education to understand how to work in this world properly. Properly being like the worst word. I think that you can like tell your younger self. I think I would have loved to have just work in this world period and work in this world, just work, you know, because now that we're seeing like a lot of this world and stuff, we're not just creating like physical products. A lot of it is digital as well. It's very it's hard for us to kind of conceive how much time it really takes to build those things or have interventions and stuff. Like I feel like coming out of the generation that I was when it was things take four years, things take time to build things in, in, I don't want to say the real world and stuff, just like, yeah, with the, in the material world. And so coming out fresh and stuff out of first year where it's like, okay, in many ways, like the world is your oyster because you've just unlearned all these things why can't I go this way? Why can't I go that way? And it was really just kind of like funny happenstance and stuff that I got kind of like my first opportunity in startups. And stuff like, and I'm eternally grateful that it happened. I wish there were more regular interventions where that could happen for more people. But I think that sometimes the way you find things is the way you find things kind of determinant of like what the culture was there. And so, and very luckily the culture that I was entering into and stuff was taking a lot of chances on young people people with, a, with different perspectives. And so my first startup was called Raise Your Flag. 
they were a startup that was going through an accelerator program called the JOLT program from the Medical and Related Sciences Building, so Mars. And for me and stuff, it was, I was, that world was brand new to me and truly I was brand new to them as, as well and stuff. It was interesting because like the, a lot of the other startups and stuff in that ecosystem, it was like T-bots and that type of stuff. It was rather very like a, like physical technology and stuff, or, or it was a lot of, a lot of like SaaS products that didn't really hit the type of social impact issues and stuff that Razor Flag was. And so Razor Flag's mission and stuff in essence was like, how do we, or how might we help youth from their kind of definitions of like 14 to like like to 25 and stuff like land their dream career without going to university or college. And I saw a really great opportunity because in MIT, we were just taught stuff like we can roll things back and we can find, imagine a new way of doing these, doing things, solutioning and stuff with the right medium. And I think it's like going through like the experience that we did in high school, talking about like streamlining. And it's like from a very young age, I was like, this is a very interesting medium finding things online, stuff, connecting students and stuff to employers to forge like their, their own path, but it's a different way of learning what the industry has to offer you. And it's a different way of learning about your talents and strengths and how to build on those. And so for me coming out of MIT and stuff, I think it's, I was able to provide them a fresh perspective of this is the way that we can show stories. This is how we can use social media. There's another way of, of connecting people their personal values and stuff to what they what they were doing. That was at the time and stuff. It was starting to bud. Like people were starting to do social media, but it's not in like the kind of a paid ads and stuff that we see now, or the types of like how well connected people can be at like spreading messages. So it was still kind of like the wild west, but it was truly an incredible experience to look, to really be put to the test of like every day you were experimenting, trying something new, and a lot of things failed, and a lot of things did work. So. I can't recommend Western students starting out in startups like enough. I, I really liked what you mentioned about the impact because usually internships, programs, whatever you apply to today, yeah. they require you to be either a student or graduated with a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. But this seems like such a cool opportunity for someone who didn't go to college, especially at the time where so many are rethinking their choices and rethinking yeah. about well, is it worth it to go to the college nowadays or university? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's like, I think it's a really important for organizations and employers to kind of think about that going forward, because like the reality is, and stuff like for a lot of the grads who are coming out or not even just the grads, a lot of people at their life stage right now, I know there are a lot of people who didn't want to complete school in the past two years. A lot of the time, the resources weren't there. The opportunities they were looking for were not there for those students who came in who really want to work an internship or those required them to be in the field. Online school wasn't going to do it for them. Like it's great. It's really, really great if they found a pathway that added value to their life and experience and they were able to do that. I think it's awful when we punish a lot of young people, if we punish people, period, for not following the track right because like I see that person as if you say they didn't finish their degree or decided to switch degrees and say skipped out on on an internship that they would have had and stuff like it's it's awful to punish them for finding a way forward just because it wasn't the model of success of what they saw previously because ultimately that person probably has a lot of really great experience 
and probably got a better experience or a very diverse experience that allows them to operate better or in a different way and stuff that can add value down the line in the ways we weren't expecting. Yeah, that sounds like a really important initiative. So just out of curiosity, is this still something that's around today or? I believe our co-founder and stuff, like while he had spent a lot of incredible time there and stuff, I believe they were able to kind of pivot and stuff their operations to to be able to appeal to a number of different industries. So while Razor Flag itself in that, in its original operations when I was there and stuff, I don't think is quite in the same state. I do believe a lot of the mechanisms and stuff that they had developed are, is being thrown into a number of other types of ventures. So that's kind of the other beauty of like startups is that I think it's a very good way of not wasting. Like, I don't think of an experiment is really a waste and stuff or like even a, a startup that is that's around for a short amount of time before like it pivots because you not only do founders get to learn your teams get to learn but the industry gets to learn as well and it's be able to able to find like new value somewhere else and now if you think about graduate post-graduation fast forward to the day you graduated mm-hmm. at western um, many people are in this position where they graduate and have really no plans moving forward, or at mm-hmm. least want you know a year or two to just figure out what it is that they want to do. Mm-hmm. You did pursue some freelancing work. How was mm-hmm. that experience for you like? I think, well, first and foremost, I think everybody who wants to take time to figure out what they want to do, understand where, what, what those four years or, or three years or whatever, however amount of time and stuff has meant to them. Like, I think that's it one of the best first steps, one of those critical first steps that I think everybody should take. Freelancing is a very interesting world that I do not feel like as young people were often introduced to really, really well. You know, I think a problem from that also just comes from the industry itself of freelancers not talking to each other or freelancers not talking to people who are at kind of like those early stages of their career in their education, trying to figuring out like really what does it do for do for you? I think what I wish I was introduced to at the beginning was that like full-time, part-time freelancing, thinking of those as like puzzle pieces that can fit into your plan. And stuff like I think I was introduced to the idea of like a job coming out of, of school as this like track that you get onto, opposed to a puzzle of different tools I can build into myself to create the picture that I'm that I want. So freelancing for me was an interesting experience because like in many ways it did fill that tooling that I needed at that time. Being a person who had, I don't know if it's like career fear of commitment. But like, I was really, really terrified that I would get locked into a path because everybody tells you you're going, you're doing this for four years so you can specialize in something niche and stuff. So you appeal really, really well to an employer. And as a younger person, I was like, that's freaking terrifying. Like, man, like we talk about like all the importance of personal branding right now. But as a young person and stuff, like that's a lot to ask of you. That's a really a lot to ask of you and stuff of like, plan your, your four years have to be this one product at the end. And so with that type of fear is if I saw freelancing as like, here's some, some like short-term commitments that I can make to that doesn't establish myself as like one thing in the industry. Cause I think a big fear back then for me, it was, if I, if I establish and brand myself as this, does that close the door for me for other employers when they look at me? But if I did contract work, I could, I did, my philosophy was that like, I can put a lot of really great experiences under my tool belt. And it's almost like 
it opens up people's minds about you because you're not one thing. Some people do that with freelancing, but like that wasn't my goal. And so I saw that as like a cushion that gives me essentially a bit more of a runway that I'm not locked into something. The problem with that is freelancing can be like the wild west, right? Like you are responsible for finding your opportunities. You are responsible and entirely responsible for the work product that you come out of it. You know, your reputation is also up for scrutiny to whoever your client is, right? So opposed to maybe you're scoring a really big game with one client where it's really great for your reputation, you could have a number of projects where you could, yes, spread your good, your good name across the industry, or you could have a number of really bad projects that happen very, very quickly. So like, I feel like when you're thinking of, of freelancing, you know, having a certain stomach and stuff for risk and tolerance, or like having a certain level of confidence in yourself that you can bounce back from things or you can find those opportunities is really, really important to consider when you're, when you're entering it, like there's no perfect way to do that. And you're, you're It's going to be experience either way, but I always feel like that's something I wish that people talked about freelancing more I, where I am right now. I'm personally very happy that I'm not freelancing anymore. I think it was both a big relief to both myself and my family of being like, I'm salaried. Like I have equity in this company, you know, like I'm building towards something that I'm not doing so like just on my own. And that's just really what I wanted. That's what I wanted now and stuff. So like, I think like freelancing serves a purpose, but I think anybody who's getting into it, try to talk to as many people about it as possible because like, yes, you're responsible for your own career path and stuff, but it's so much easier and it's so much, it's just more enjoyable when you get to talk to other people about it as you, as you do it. Lots of great points mentioned. Um, I want to emphasize on reputation. It's super important. And if you have a good reputation or let's say a good experience with a customer, more likely than not, they are going to refer you to some of their other friends or people they are partnering up with. And that itself brings lots of business. Now, imagine if it's the other way around and you did a terrible job. The first thing that's going to happen is that they'll say, make sure you don't approach this person or organization mm -hmm. and just stay far away from them. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough, especially in this such like a networked community that we're in, like the entire population of Canada, you can fit it in the state of California. It's for not that big. And right, that can be really helpful for opportunity. But in a time where you should give yourself permission to fail in certain areas and stuff or not do something like perfectly, it can feel like a lot of pressure. And I don't think it should, but unfortunately, sometimes the nature of just like the amount of people that we have in this country, if you're saying like local and stuff like it, it makes it, uh, it can make it an, a less uncomfortable environment. Mm -hmm. Especially nowadays, we can easily just post a review about someone online and then yeah. it'll be blasted everywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good review or bad review. Okay, so you talked a bit about intentions and motivations when like pursuing your career and mm -hmm. your current job. Why don't you tell us more about the impact that that <laughs> the impact it has in your decision making, or why do you even consider them? I I think it has a huge impact. I think it really does, and stuff, as, especially for those of us who are like infinitely curious. I think it's really, really hard to find, I guess, like security in your plans forward and stuff when you are sometimes like infinitely curious because all of these things appeal to you, right? When selecting what you want to do next or what you care about, it's not often like a process of elimination. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Um, 
but being able to kind of sit back and look at your intentions and your motivations and stuff is I feel like one of the best tools to help you through any type of like ambiguous situation. And life is incredibly ambiguous for a lot of us, right? Like the world, like the economy that I inherited when I first got out of school versus the economy that you and you guys are inheriting is very, very different and stuff. Like I'm sure that your values have probably changed and stuff over the past few years too, by virtue of like you guys having to learn to adapt as well as like knowing you guys are going to have to shake up those things and adapt like again. And so, you know, while like his, looking at historical like successes can be like an approach going forward or like using process of elimination of seeing like, okay, what do I actually don't or really don't like can be really helpful going forward. I think that setting in, settling in on what your intentions and motivations can be a really helpful tool if you are forced to adapt very quickly and especially when you don't know when the next adaptation is going to happen and so i really really appreciate that like venture for canada does these chats and stuff like as a part of the fellowship program and stuff like we get to talk with a lot of industry leaders and we got a really incredible chat with this man named thomas park who is a tri-sector leader started his career and stuff as a prosecutor has his law degree did his master's in public policy did incredible work there got his MBA and stuff, right? Like has really kind of been able to combine a lot of really great experiences and a lot of very rich perspectives altogether. And his kind of advice was that in this time of your life right now, especially in when you want to make an impact and you are trying to figure out where that is and stuff like setting out your intentions and motivations is your number one job here because that will help you adjust and stuff like what that impact is going to be and for how long and to, to what degree. And that I think all together helps you like us on, on, from the person, us as the people in the driver's seat determine like what we define as like success. And I think it's just a nice way of like figuring out, like when you're thinking of the pacing of your career, your life, what you determine as a success is stuff is another just like helpful tool that helps you feel like satisfied in what you're doing and also helps bring you clarity of what you want to do next. Also to mention that the definition of success can change depending on what stage of your career or life you're at if you're you know single young it could be very different yeah. as opposed to a person who is married and has like children so i thought that was an important point to bring up as well yeah similar i was just gonna say i feel like it's never too late to question your intentions and motivations with what you're doing it could lead mm-hmm. you on a completely different path which i think is the most exciting part about it um you mentioned uh, Venture for Canada. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about the program and kind of what the organization does and your uh, your participation in it. Yeah, no, I'd love to. With Venture for Canada, it's so funny because like, so, like I'm kind of coming to the end of my fellowship now, right? So typically like, the fellowship is like 15 months and while actively participating in it, like really taking advantage of like the full experience, sometimes I still like have to sit back and off like, oh my God, like I'm a, I'm a venture for Canada fellow. Cause for me, when I was first introduced to the program stuff, like I was, I was still at Western and it was my partners. If I had done an internship with her in, in East Africa, in the Mwanza region. And she had come from a background of like a dual degree of like uh, environmental science and business. And she was telling me about venture for Canada and stuff and what she thought this program would offer her and what she would like to do when she got out of it. And at the time and stuff, it, was, it seemed like everybody who had been in, in the program previously was a lot like her, people who had a business degree, who would rather come from Ivy or come from Queens, like, like commerce and stuff, or Rotman and stuff, had these very, very 
prestigious business degrees in order to join this program. And so for me, and coming from MPI and stuff like a budding, a budding degree on its own, I just couldn't see the fit. And I really did, although I loved what it was going to expose to her in terms of like startup knowledge and, you know, like practical industry skills. So like, I just didn't see how I would be able to like measure up to that. Some time went on and, you know, eventually I just thought, why, why don't I just try? Why don't I just send in the application? Because that hurts nobody. It hurts nobody to do that. It's just a little bit of my time and it helps. And my head was like, maybe I'll just sleep a little bit better at night. Because for me, it was this, this, this fantasy. It was like, this is an incredible like entrepreneurship program and stuff. Like one of the only ones of its caliber in the country. Now, I believe Scott Sturt and stuff, our CEO and stuff was, was just named like one of the major change makers here in Canada. It's one of the most rapidly growing and stuff and successful charities here in Canada. Of course, at, the, at that time, I didn't know that stuff, but I knew the reputation of what its impacts were like on students, you know, like this is a fantasy and a dream for me. Maybe I'll sleep a little bit better if I just send it in, rather get to a next round or get a rejection, right? You just, you just don't know. And I'm so happy that I did do that because it did set me on this path. Like the application process, the selection process was, <laughs> I it was for me who did not come from a business background grueling and I'm comfortable to say that and stuff because they, because they know that it is tough. It is a really tough process because it does want, it does challenge you to, to, to think and work in a lot of ways that you may not be used to, because that's a lot of what startups are, right? Like whatever talents and, and skills that you have is great. It's great. But if you're trying to work on a challenge that hasn't really been worked on before, everybody's going to be in the same state as you. Everybody's going to be sweating it out because you're trying to figure it out and that's uncomfortable. And so like going through that process and stuff, like it's, while it was extensive and it was grueling for me, it was one of the best ways for me to learn not only what my actual skills and capabilities are, but like what else do my colleagues have and, and where can I grow into? And the lovely part and stuff about Venture for Canada is that it is not like university where it is, you guys kind of compare notes and you see who did well or who did poorly at like the end. It's we're going through this process together. And if you identify in one of your colleagues and have there's a gap in knowledge, you teach them immediately. And I feel like that's a lot of what startup culture is, is that we're all cross-functional. We're all kind of like putting our hands into whatever pies that we can, because you have to maximize and stuff like your talents and resources as it is. And by doing that, you kind of learn how to like build at the speed of trust. And building at the speed of trust requires you all to be on the same page. So if I can share knowledge with you and you can share knowledge with me, ultimately all of us are stronger for it. And so Venture for Canada, I feel like has that type of philosophy and people who care passionately about that, like in spades. And so like that culture for me and stuff, like I think in many ways was everything that I was looking for coming out of MIT and MPI and FIMS and coming out of freelancing and stuff like putting it all together of like, you know, these, these are people and stuff who want to teach each other. We want to learn together. And we want to create something great. It's, it's, and I think that, you know, like I probably don't talk about that experience enough with people because like I look back now and stuff and seeing like who's applying and I was like, I wonder if there are other MPI 
students who are doing this because like it's tough like going into a non-traditional coming from it like a non-traditional like business degree like going into something that is like entrepreneurship and business like there are gaps to that and like we do need to fill that we do need to share more stories about that or like how people outside of the traditional frameworks can fit but it was one of my best decisions and like it's been an experience that has been rewarding every every single day as as someone who has been part of you know different amazing communities, especially, I, so I was involved with Chat Canada a few years mm-hmm. ago as a program assistant. Mm-hmm. And I really know what you're talking about when you say the importance of community and teaching each other because you have time to bond really well with each other yeah. and create that trust of, trusting environment to kind of learn from each other, be vulnerable, which is a huge part of it. Yeah. And just like find friends who who could share the same pathway as you and some of them, I guess, could end up pursuing their own businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a journey that never really, I feel like never really ends because I feel like when you're, when you get to meet those people and stuff, like they become part of your network and stuff and you learn from each other consistently, you change consistently. And it's, it's interesting to see you know, how people change over that process. Like for yourself, Lucy, like I, from my understanding, like you went through that process, that selection process for Venture for Canada as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was amazing. I, I love the presentation and how they created a kind of trustworthy and vulnerable community sense mm-hmm. in the selection process, which I really loved. It's, it's amazing because sometimes like you're strangers going into it, but like you, when you learn so much in when you learn so much about yourself in the sessions and you get to learn so, about so, so much about somebody else, it's funny. Cause like in my selection process, like I feel like I got to identify with some people and stuff like more deeply than my own housemates that I'd lived with like for years, but it all just comes down to the design and setting. What was your intention? What was your motivation going in and what did you want out of it? So maybe more lessons to learn even outside of a grueling selection process. Right. And I think one thing to mention for students is that you don't recent, you don't necessarily have to be graduating to apply for this program. At least based on what I saw on their website, there are opportunities for internships as well, yeah. where they will, I think, match you with other companies. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know more than me. This. No, no, I think you got it right and stuff. I think it's still within like the startup like environment. Like Venture for Canada's goal is very much like giving us the fellows like entrepreneurship skills and then allowing us to go across like Canadian startups grow them and scale them and stuff. So I think with the entrepreneur entrepreneurship program, stuff, it is like very similar to like the, the fellowship program, but on a much more scaled down uh, structure where I think it's only a few months. So um, Gabriella, let me ask you this. Today mm-hmm. you're working on brand partnerships and mm-hmm. running the podcast at hashtag paid. First of all, how were you able to land that role? And then we'll talk about more what hashtag paid is and what do they do? I think I, I, it comes from two places because, ha, because hashtag paid is a startup. I think in one part, I do have to pay homage to that. Like I was able to land this role because somebody founded this company and somebody wanted somebody like me, you know? And so like, I think that when we think about your, your first, your first big job or like there are passion jobs and stuff, we think about a lot of like, how did we prepare ourselves? But I think it's also very important to think of like, what was the employer's perspective in this? How did they find me as well? And so like, I think that 
while a lot of like hiring is, is kind of portrayed as this, like you go into LinkedIn and you go into like Indeed and you fire off like all of like all of the resumes and all of the cover letters and that type of stuff, like very much like there's actually action that's coming from like both sides. And so for me to have gotten this position, it had to come from like my co-founders like Brian and Riv and stuff like number one, going to Western, <laughs> going to Western, getting the education that they did wanting to work on the problem of like, you know, like creator partnerships and stuff coming out of that, working their butts off for years. And then also having an open mind that like someone of my talents and skills and stuff would fit with them. So like Brian, our co-founder stuff came from MIT. And so like, I think in many ways and stuff, how I landed this was that there was somebody else who had the same philosophy and was was taught a similar way of like opening up my up and opening up their minds, like the perspectives of how we can solution things as we do in MIT and like built a business around it. And then so from my end and stuff like uh, hashtag paid is we're one of the fastest growing tech companies in Canada and they have been a venture for Canada partners for a number of years now. And so part of venture for Canada is that you get to, as a fellow, we get to work at a venture for Canada partnered startup. You still have to be, you know, go through the process and you have to be hired, employed and stuff, just like everybody else does and stuff. But like our intentions towards the types of companies that we would have the greatest impact and stuff are more targeted towards these like venture for Canada partnered startups. And so for me, venture for Canada gave me a ton of skills, a ton of skills of understanding how operations, marketing, sales, uh, and customer service work. And so for having a well-rounded perspective of how the different functions work together and how I create value, like add value to each of those functions, I think very much prepared me to come into the particular point of like need for hashtag paid at the time. So while that introduction did come from like Venture for Canada and stuff, like I think the beauty of coming into a startup at this stage is that you not only get to really, really recognize what you want to do and what you have to offer and stuff, but you can, you kind of tailor that to where they are, where they are at. And they tailor like their hiring, of course, to what they need because with a startup and stuff, like you have limited resources, all parts of the ship have to work. Everything has to float. It's not really like You don't get into those problems that where I find with some of these larger companies where things can kind of just go by the wayside and people don't always track like the impact as well. Everybody is on the same page. And I think that kind of mutual decision choice in each other was really the way that that kind of, that opportunity came, came about where I am now in brand partnerships. And now I run this podcast because originally like I didn't know I was going to run a podcast, but it was one of those moments right, where we mutually chose each other and we decided like, yeah, there's opportunity here for, for us to do that. And so that's kind of how that happened. Love that. Love that. Always great to hear, you know, stories of how people find their dream jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how you had that like common connection point with the co-founder to also study at Western and mm-hmm. more specifically the same program. Mm-hmm. Um, so more about hashtag paid, like what mm-hmm. do they do? How do they impact the creator community these days? Yeah. So, so hashtag paid is, is they're a creator marketing platform and really they're a community of both like creators and brands. And what we really do is that we help facilitate a lot of these partnerships that happen between the two. What I love about what they're doing is that I feel like in the construction and design of how they connect people, we are teaching an industry how to value both brands and partners, like, like creators better. 
Because I think that when you look at the industry right now and stuff, like you just hear a lot of horror stories. You hear a lot of horror stories and stuff of like creators being taken advantage of or really, really great creators and stuff, not being able to find work and stuff because there are certain biases like in the industry, or you hear about incredible brands who can't compete with the other bigger players and stuff because they're fighting for the same space and there weren't a lot of tools and resources for them to cut through the noise and really showcase like what their offerings were, connecting them them with the people who actually really need them or communities who would help build them up. And so with hashtag pay, the way that we teach each other about like what creator partnerships look like, what are the best strategies to do that that helps everybody win and essentially insulates the creator economy for like the better. I think it's not only just like a very unique product, but I think it's a very necessary product as we kind of go, as we've like forged forward, because there's a lot of different ways and stuff like the advertising industry has tried to reinvent like the wheel and that has, and the advertising industry has a very, very strong, strong impact on all of us, right? Like I, it's, I I find it interesting that there are some classic children's books and stuff that I know that say my sister loves that she had read to me a number of times. And even with that repetition, I can remember more iconic ads from the nineties at the time than those, than those like award-winning stories. Why? What I'm getting out is that if you're a creator or a brand, you definitely have to check hashtag paid out and see how they can help you achieve your goals. Yeah. Okay. So I have one final question for you and it's, do you have any advice for current Western students? Mm, any advice? I have mountains of advice, but if I, to, if I had to pick one that I think is not only one that I really, really wish I had learned while I was at Western, but I feel like it's going to be a piece of, I feel like as a piece of advice that is, takes a bit longer to learn. So if it takes longer to learn, maybe start now, (laughs) um, learn to fail forward. You know, like it is so easy for us to invite, to have a lot of pressures in our lives at the, at that stage where you have very high expectations of yourself. Your friends might have very high expectations of your family. You know, it's, it's okay to have expectations, but thinking of like, well, I should say it's, it's great to have expectations that help guide you, but having a plan and a toolkit and stuff that helps you weather the storm of whatever your expectations or your goals might change, I think is really, really important, especially for the type of world that we're going into. I think learning to fail forward. And when I say learn to fail forward, it's not only recognizing that you have taken steps forward in whatever you have chosen, you have learned something and this that is valuable to you and can be valuable to somebody else and essentially puts, puts you in a newer, in a new unique position to try something else that is beneficial to you. That is something that helps secure your learning overall. And I also feel like helps protect like your mindset because the world changes quickly. You have so much to offer. And sometimes it's just a matter of like what you are offering isn't in the right space right? As we were talking about like me finding what is, I feel is like my dream job. It was really a mutual choosing of each other. It was my offering met what they, they needed. Does it make me any less successful? And stuff if I had these exact same offering, the exact same experience I had and offered it to somebody else where that was just different. So being able to see those moments where like, you're able to fail forward of recognizing I'm learning why it didn't fit or where else I should go helps you move that needle 
bit by bit. And if you are failing forward, you know, like and getting 1% better every week, that adds up very, very quickly. You just need that patience with yourself. You need to have patience for your career in your life. So yeah, I think that would be my, my piece of advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. I, you certainly given a lot of perspective on the startup community. And uh, as you just said, like your mindset, as you navigate the, uh, the job market and yeah, you definitely given me, given me a lot to think about. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, it was an absolute pleasure. And stuff. like, I love that you guys run these conversations and I think this is how we learn, you know, like I know my perspective on things is probably vastly different from yours, stuff, but I love that this is a launching point for I think a lot of people and I'm just really grateful for the opportunity congratulations to you guys for everything that you've done this year and I'm super excited for where you guys go next thank you thank you very much for joining us today Gabriella Um, and to our listeners thank you so much for listening to this episode of Voices of Western and we'll see you next week